Well, for some of you, as soon as you hear what we are talking about today, you're going to want to leave. I know it's not a great way to start the message, but it's true. Someone's thinking, oh man, I brought a friend for the first time. Please don't talk about money. Please don't talk about money. Please don't talk about money. So do you want to know what we're talking about today? I'm not sure if you're ready. If you're, if you're ready, say ready. ready. All right, you asked for it. So from Ephesians 4.32, it says this. It says, instead, be kind to each other. Too bad we're not talking about that one. That's too easy. Then it says this, tender-hearted. Oh, that gives like a warm, fuzzy feeling, right? But too bad we're not talking about that either. Um, here, let's look at the whole verse. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Today, we are talking about forgiveness. If you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis. I am the lead pastor here. And whether you are new or a regular attender, whether you're joining us in person here in the auditorium or on a video screen somewhere, I'm just so glad that you're with us. Uh, week number three of a four-week sermon series we are calling Love is Louder, Rising Above the Noise. In this whole series, we are using 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in the Bible as our foundation. Christians call that chapter the love chapter. And in 1 Corinthians 13, God, through the Apostle Paul, uh, we call him the Apostle Paul, his name was just Paul, but, but God through Paul tells us that above everything we could do for him in this life, more than anything we could ever accomplish, love is the greatest. That love is the loudest. Love rises above the noise. The noise of anger, hatred, racism, bitterness, division. Whatever it is, love is louder. Now, if you've not been here for the whole series, I'd love for you to get caught up online. You can watch our messages at elementchurchwy.com or on our podcast. You can listen to them as well. And so far, it's a little recap for where we've been in the series. So far, we've looked at how love is patient and kind. That was week number one. Last week, we saw how love is not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. That if love is at the root of my heart, then love will be the fruit from my heart. That was last week. Today, we're looking at the, the last part of verse 5 in 1 Corinthians 13. It says this, Love does not demand its own way, other versions say, is not self-seeking. It is not irritable, which those are enough to talk on, but here's our focus for today. And it keeps no record of being wronged. No record. So the Gill commentary said this about that last phrase, one possessed with this kind of love does not think of the evil that is done against them. Rather, they forgive as God has forgiven them. One, having once forgiven it, they don't keep bringing it up. Do not meditate on revenge or wish evil against the one who has done evil to them. Sounds a lot like Ephesians 4.32 where we started, right? That we should forgive one another just as God through Christ has forgiven us. Friends, this kind of attitude rises above the noise, does it not? Like forgiveness, at least to me, just seems to be a foreign concept these days in our culture. I mean, if someone says something bad about us online, man, we are quick to fire right back. If someone does something to offend us or hurt us, we want everyone else to know about it, and we will do everything we can to bring them down in the process. 
In recent memory, I don't know of a greater example of a forgiving kind of love than from the members of Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church, longest church name in the history of church names, from Charleston, South Carolina. They rose so far above the noise in their love and forgiveness that they found themselves on the cover of Time Magazine with this title, What Does It Take to Forgive a Killer? If you don't remember, if you don't know, on June 17, 2015, a young man named Dylan Roof, who is white, walked into this predominantly African-American church for a Wednesday night Bible study. They welcomed him with open arms, by the way. For nearly an hour, he pretended to be a worshiper with them, waiting until they closed their eyes in prayer to open fire on this unsuspecting church, killing nine people, injuring many others, all of them African-American. This was more than just some random act of violence, though. It was rooted in hatred and racism because during the investigation following his arrest, they found a hate-filled manifesto written by this young man that said, I have no other choice but to kill black people. After his arrest on social media, pictures began to surface uh, showing him waving the Confederate flag, which sparked a nationwide debate about the flag itself and what it represents, creating all sorts of noise from, both, uh, from, from all different sides, fueling uh, hateful, divisive, racist speech from the mouths of both white and black people towards each other. In the midst of all this noise there, though, in the midst of this horrific loss, the people of Emmanuel Church chose to rise above the noise. It was truly remarkable. Just two days after nine of their loved ones were gunned down, while at the hearing of the shooter, they vocalized their mercy and compassion on him and their forgiveness of him. Nadine Collier lost her 70-year-old grandmother through her tears to this young man. She said, I forgive you. I will never be able to hold her again, but I forgive you. If God can forgive you, I forgive you. Bethane Middleton Brown lost her sister. She said, we have no room for hating, so we have to forgive. I pray God on your soul. Notice, not God's anger, wrath, or vengeance. I pray God on your soul. Wanda Simmons lost her grandfather. She said this, although my grandfather and the other victims died at the hands of hate, this is proof. Everyone's plea for your soul is proof that they lived in love and their legacies will live in love. Isn't that powerful? So then the attorney representing these victims was asked, how can these people respond this way? Where does this come from? And here's the attorney's response. That's genuinely who these people are. It's in their DNA. And for those of us who do not have that same faith, it's hard to imagine, but it's ingrained in them. Wow. So my question is, would I have responded that way? If my loved ones were gunned down? Would you respond that way if it was your family? Is that the kind of love and forgiveness ingrained in me? Is that rooted in my DNA? Talk about uh, love being the root and fruit of my heart. Like, come on. 
Even if you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, which by the way, if that's you, thank you so much for being here. Your presence is more than you know, that, that, that you took a risk to come be in a church when you don't necessarily believe in Jesus. Even if you don't, you have to agree that kind of forgiving love is needed in our world today. It just makes the world a better place. If we had that kind of forgiving love. Notice, by the way, these victims, they did not absolve the shooter of wrongdoing. That's not what forgiveness is. They, they did not forget what was done to them. That's impossible and not what we are called to do either. When, when the Bible says we are supposed to forgive as God forgave us, and then it says that when God forgives, he remembers our sins no more. We hear that and we think, I can't do that. I can't not remember what was done to me, but that's why we have to understand that word remember. The word remember concerning God does not mean that God does not have the ability to recall it. It does not mean that he literally can't remember it. That word remember means to intentionally remind oneself or hold it against someone else. So when God forgives us, he treats us as if he has forgotten our sins. That our sins are no longer held against us. There is no more punishment for our sin when we receive forgiveness. And God does not intentionally recall our sins, especially to us. That's good news, by the way. Now the devil will recall my sins. That's called condemnation. The only time God, through his Holy Spirit, will ever bring sins to your mind is because they have not been forgiven yet. That's called conviction. Once he forgives them, he does not bring them up again. He remembers them, calls them to memory no more. 2 Corinthians 5.19 speaks to this, says this, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer Counting people's sins against them. Amen? Doesn't hold it against us. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. I think the message of reconciliation that God has given us who believe is more than just being reconciled to God. It's us being reconciled to one another as well. That's a part of the message that really the church should be leading the way in is reconciliation. So it leads into our big idea for today. It's a lot longer than I would normally do, so we'll leave it on the screens if you want to write it down. It's this. Forgiveness doesn't remove the wrong that was done. It removes my right to hold on to it or to hold it against someone else. Forgiveness does not remove the wrong that was done. That's impossible. What's done is done, right? I can't go back and change it. Many things I wish I could change that I did to people. So forgiveness doesn't remove the wrong that was done. It removes my right to hold onto it. Don't we do that? And hold that hurt against someone else. Which, by the way, this is what the people of Emmanuel Church did. Quite honestly, it's how I want to live my life. And I think if we were all honest, we would say, yeah, I want to live my life that way too. I want to live in a life of forgiveness. So that is our big question for today. How can I live in that kind of forgiveness? How can I live 
in that kind of forgiveness. Main scripture is Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. If you want to follow along in your own Bible, you can. It'll all be on the screens as well. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one today. Uh, ask for a Bible at guest services. We will get you one free of charge. We give them away every single week. I'd love for you to read about God's forgiveness all on your own. It's all through the Bible from beginning to end. Here in Matthew 18, Matthew, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, so he's an eyewitness to what Jesus uh, said and did, he records some teachings that Jesus was giving in this chapter. It started out with having faith like a child, then he shared the parable of the lost sheep, and then what we should do when someone sins against us or offends us. And then we pick up Matthew 18, starting in verse 21, says this, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Okay, interesting to note here, Peter uh, often stuck his foot in his mouth. And he appears to be doing this again. So Peter, he would have known the commonly held Jewish belief at that time that forgiveness was not to exceed three times. That to exceed someone, uh, to, to, to give someone forgiveness more than three times was considered overly gracious. That was a common Jewish belief. So no doubt Peter here thought he was going to impress the creator of the universe. By suggesting he forgive up to seven times. I mean, he was going all the way from three to seven. I'm no math major, but that's more than double what was expected of a Jewish person. I can almost see Peter just kind of being puffed up with pride at how Jesus would commend him. Oh, little Petey boy, you're so cute. So Jesus responds, verse 22. No, Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven so cute, little Petey boy. Which, by the way, is what God says to us when we also try to impress him. He's so, so cute. In saying 70 times 7, by the way, Jesus did not literally mean we should stop at 490 times. That's not what he meant. He was using exaggeration to drive home a point. So in giving that equation, Jesus was not putting a limit on our forgiveness. He was saying our forgiveness should be limitless for those who offend us. That if love is to be the loudest in my life, then forgiveness is not a quantity from my heart. It is the condition of my heart. Heart of forgiveness. Like the members of Emmanuel Church, it's in our DNA. It's ingrained in us. So forgiveness does not remove the wrong that was done. It removes my right to hold on to it and to hold it against them. So how do I live in that kind of forgiveness? The first thing, we already said it is this. It needs to be a condition. It needs to be a condition of my heart. Notice I did not say it needs to have conditions. That's typically the problem with our forgiveness. That keeps us holding on to something or holding it against someone. We say things like, well, if they would just do this, or if they would just say or do that, or if they wouldn't have done that, then I would forgive them. We have conditions on it. So this is not about having conditions to our forgiveness. It's about always having the condition of being forgiving. 
Psalm 86 verse 5 says this about our Lord. Oh Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive. Amen? God's just always ready. That's his condition to forgive. So full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help, which by the way, only God can do this in us. Because I don't know about you, I know me really well. Left to my own devices, I am spiteful, angry, and full of revenge. So I need the Holy Spirit to ingrain this in me, to root his love so deep into the recesses of my heart that I am simply in a condition of forgiveness. And by the way, when God does that in our hearts, forgiveness will stop being a practice in our life and it will become the posture of our life. The posture of forgiveness. So how many times should I forgive someone, Peter said? A whopping seven? No, 70 times seven. Peter, Jeff, church, no limit, no measure, no conditions to who or what I forgive. Forgiveness doesn't remove the wrong that was done. It removes my right to hold on to it or to hold it against them. So how do I live in that kind of forgiveness? Well, it needs to be a condition. Could it be said about me, Jeff is so ready to forgive? Could that describe you? Matthew 18, 23 and 24, Jesus shifts gears now and tells a parable to illustrate this teaching. says this, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Now, we hear millions and our minds are already racing, right? But it's even more than what you're thinking. Literally, the, the term used was 10,000 talents. Talent, a talent was a form of money or currency in the days of Jesus, and this 10,000 talents would have been equal to 375 tons of silver. Go home and figure out what that value is today. It's a lot of money. Just so you're aware, that number to the listener of this when Jesus said it was unfathomable. That's hard to say that word, but I'm excited I said it right. There's a theologian I found online who did all the math because I can preach, but I can't add anything even with a calculator. And he, he figured up that the equivalent in that day, the equivalent of 10,000 talents was 200,000 years wages for the average worker. So the number is not what's important. He was again using exaggeration to make a point saying this man's debt was unpayable. Couldn't pay it which is what he says next in the story. He couldn't pay. Verse 25. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me. I'll pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and, what does it say? Forgave. Forgave his unpayable debt. So the second thing I see here that we need to live in this kind of forgiveness is it takes a heart of compassion. It needs to be a condition, yes, but it takes a heart of compassion. That that word pity stood out to me in this story. In the Greek language that this would have been originally written in, it's actually a very similar word, if not the same word, to tenderhearted 
that we read in Ephesians 4.32 to start off our, our sermon here. So I want to show them to you on the screen. On the left is the English words tenderhearted and pity. On the right is their Greek counterparts. I'm not even going to try to pronounce them. I think you pronounce tenderhearted hakalugi and pity spitalugi. <laughs> Pretty sure that's how you, how you say that. You can quote me on that. I don't want to focus on how you pronounce it. I want to focus on the underlined portion of each word. Notice they have the exact same Greek root word. These words are the same word, tenderhearted and pity. And they mean this, to feel compassion, to be moved from the inward parts of our body or the seats of our affections. So in our modern day language, we might say from the bottom of my heart or it broke my heart or it tore me to pieces. So moved in my affections, it leads me to do something with my actions. That it, when, it, when it comes to forgiveness, compassion is the action that flows out of the condition of my heart. That the condition is only something God can do for me. Only God can give me the condition of forgiveness. But compassion is something I choose to let God do through me towards those who have hurt or offended me. So if I stop choosing to forgive, I will also lose the condition of being forgiven or being forgiving. So the condition that God gives me leads to an action of actually doing it for someone else. And this terrifies some of you. Some of you in this room, you don't know what it's like to not hold on to what's been done to you, to not hold that hurt against the person who hurt you. There are some people, I believe wholeheartedly in this room, you've been holding on to hurt or the person who hurt you for so long, you actually have no idea what it even looks like to live in freedom. And for some of us, we have grown so comfortable with our bitterness that we're actually more afraid of not being bitter than we are just staying bitter. Because we don't know how to live any other way. It takes compassion flowing towards the person who hurt me from the condition of my heart that God gave me. That kind of compassion, church, it rises above the noise. Like it's, it's one thing to be moved for someone that I don't even know has never done anything against me. If I see someone and they are in need or in trouble or they are hurting, like it's just human to want to do something or feel something for them. But what about my enemy? What about the one who has, has hurt me or someone I love in the worst way? Matthew 5, 46 through 48, Jesus says this, If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different? How are you rising above the noise from everyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, don't let that word perfect freak you out too much. It literally means complete or whole. So I will not be complete. I cannot be made whole 
until the condition of my heart is forgiveness and the action of my life, even towards those who hurt me, is compassion. I can't be complete without it. It's what Bethane Middleton Brown said to her sister's killer, I pray God on your soul, moved with pity and compassion. It's the only thing that will rise above the noise, church. Forgiveness does not remove the wrong that's been done. It will always hurt. It just removes my right to hold on to it or to hold it against them. So I, it needs to be a condition. How do I do that? It needs to be a condition. takes a heart of compassion. Then Jesus concludes with some sobering words, church. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars or equal to 100 days' wages. He was forgiven of 200,000 years of wages. Now here's a man who owes him 100 days. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me. I'll pay it, he pleaded, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous, unpayable debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. And then Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, said this, that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Hello. Like it just got real. Jesus said in Matthew 6.15, but if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. This has its root, by the way, in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This is not a suggestion, gang. Like, this was so important to God. And it rises so far above the noise that he made it a command for those of us who follow him. So how do we do it? Well, the last way is this, and we need this. It requires a Christ-like commitment. It needs to be a condition, only God can give me that. It takes a heart of compassion. i got to choose to let that flow through me. But if I don't have a Christ-like commitment, it's not going to work. I can't do this on my own. There are some people in the room today that you've been deeply wounded. You've experienced the hurt and the pain and the betrayal. Some of it's so brutal we can't even speak it out loud. Right now, I believe God is bringing names and faces and situations to mind. And he's saying to us, I'm not asking you to remove what's been done. That's, you can't, it's done. But I'm asking you, son, daughter, to remove your right to hold on to it or to hold it against someone. 
And in the same way I forgave you, I'm asking you to forgive them because I want you to be whole again. I want you to be whole again. And listen, my, my goal here is not to guilt anyone into forgiving a person who has, has wronged you. I don't want to hold the forgiveness of Christ over you and try to force you to do something that, that you don't want to do. I, I, I could say, I could say that. I could say, well, Jesus forgave you, so you should forgive other people. That's what Jesus said. I have every right to say that and would be right, but it's more than that. It's more than that. Should isn't powerful enough to overcome some of the hurt in this room. I can see it on faces right now. You see, it's not that we should forgive because of how Christ forgave us. It's the fact that we can forgive because Christ forgave us. That no matter what's been done to you, no matter the hurt or the pain or the betrayal, as a follower of Christ, you are able to forgive because the greatest forgiver of all time now lives in your heart and will move compassion and forgiveness through you. So yeah, you should, but it's more than that. It's you can because of Jesus. That forgiveness doesn't remove the wrong that's been done. And by the way, let me, let me add this. Forgiveness can happen in a moment. Trust might take a lifetime to rebuild. So I'm not saying you bring them back into the same exact relationship you had before they hurt you. That might take years. Or, or maybe you should never be around them again. It was so bad. So it doesn't remove the wrong that was done. It doesn't remove their wrongdoing. And it might take years to build trust, but you, in forgiving, say, I'm, I'm, I'm letting go of my right to hold on to it. It's debilitating, gang, to hold on to that. And I'm letting go of my right to hold it against them. And listen, I'm, I'm in this boat with you today. I'm in it with you. I had this message done. Done and preached. We, we record our sermons every Thursday just in case something ha bad happens and I can't be here. We got it ready to go on video. I preached this message on Thursday to an empty room. Had no amens. That was funny right there. Not knowing that that night I would receive a text message explaining what someone had done to someone very close in my life that I love. And it was the worst of betrayal. And now I got to stand up and preach on forgiveness after my brother was hurt at the deepest level, not my biological brother, my spiritual brother. So I, I'm, I'm with you. And before first service, I was an emotional wreck this morning. Before first service, before I walked out here, I just felt the Lord impress upon my heart, Jeff, you've not forgiven them yet. And you can't preach this message and hold on to that.
And so in my office and through my tears, I said, God, I, I have to forgive. I have to forgive. It still hurts. It still hurts. But it's not mine to hold on to or to hold against. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes today. If you're here and you would say, yeah, man, that's, there, there's a name, a face, a situation that I've been holding on to for a day or for decades. And I am ready to let go. I'm forgiving right now. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand? I'm forgiving right now. I'm letting go. I'm letting go. I'm letting go. I'm letting go all over the room, all over the room. God, I pray in Jesus' name right now that your forgiving power would sweep this place. Lord, would you give us the ability to reach out with compassion and say, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive, whatever it is, no matter the hurt, the pain, the betrayal, Lord, there's hands all over. I pray right now, Lord, that they would let go of their right to hold on and they would extend forgiveness to those who have hurt them. Lord, we want to live in freedom and the only way to be whole and free is by forgiving. So Lord, we forgive. I say it again, Lord, about the person in my life, I forgive them. I might have to do it again tomorrow and the next day and the next, but I forgive them. Amen. Maybe you're here today, though, and you have never experienced the saving love, forgiving love of Jesus to come into your heart and be Lord of your life. If that's you today, make no mistake about it. Our debt was unpayable. Our sin against God separated us from him for eternity. And without paying the price, there's no way back to God and we can't pay it ourselves. So God came down in the form of Jesus, died the death we deserve, rose from the dead and said, if you'll put your faith in me, I will forgive you of your unpayable debt and I'll live in and through you in a way that will blow your ever loving mind. So if you want to put your faith in Christ today, would you just simply pray this prayer? Just in your heart, silently to God, just pray this prayer. God, Thank you for being ready to forgive. I receive your forgiveness right now. I confess all my sins to you, God, everything I've ever done. Please forgive me. I owe an unpayable debt. Jesus, I believe you are the Lord. You are God, risen from the dead. So I give my life to you. Please live in my heart. Help me live for you. I'm going to turn from all my old life. I'm going to do my best to follow you by the power of your spirit. Thanks for loving me, Jesus. I will do my best to love you back. In Jesus' name, amen. I've prayed that prayer before in my life. Many in this room have as well. So if you just prayed that prayer, you are now family with us. And I'd love to know about it. So I'm going to ask you to do something very bold. If you prayed that prayer to ask Jesus into your heart. Would you lift your hand up? Say, yep, that's me. Just ask Jesus into my heart. Praise God. Welcome. Welcome. Anybody else? Welcome. Anybody else? Welcome. Amen. Welcome. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Welcome. Anybody else? Welcome. Praise God. All the way in the back. Awesome. Praise God. Yeah. Amen. Listen, that's the best decision you'll ever make. It is one of the hardest you will ever live out, and you need help. We have to do this together. So we wrote a devotional for you called 21. It's for free. It's at the, uh, at the guest services table out in the lobby. Just ask them for a next steps. 21-day devotional. It's called 21, and we wrote it just for you that will get you walking with Jesus, get you into the Word, and give you the help that you need. Right on your connection card, too, that you put your faith in Christ. That would be awesome. It's going to be a little weird transition here. 
So I couldn't fit this into the message, but I want to share with you uh, some information about what's coming up at our church, and then a few closing remarks. And so if you just, I'll pray for you, and this remain kind of still a few closing things. God, thanks so much for your forgiveness. You forgave me an unpayable debt, and it pales in comparison to what people have done to me or those I love. So, Lord, would you just give us that condition of forgiveness, a compassionate heart, and a Christ-like commitment. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, weird transition, but I just want to remind you again of those cards on your seats. We are looking uh, for new volunteers to step up and serve. And one of the reasons we are doing this volunteer recruitment is we are adding a fourth worship experience October 14th. Uh, so our new times will be 8.30, 10, 11.30 a.m. and then 6 p.m. And the reason we're doing that is during the spring, we've had the, the highest attended year we've ever had and we need more room. And so we're adding a service, but that means we need more bodies to serve as well. So if you call Element Church your home and you have not yet started serving God through your church, that's your next step. In fact, I would say this as lovingly and pastorally as I can. If you call Element Church your home, but you are unwilling to serve in it, it is not your home. So get a towel, wrap it over your arm. And start serving. You don't have to serve every service or even every week. There's even times throughout the week to serve. There's a num- plethora of ways. So fill out that card, drop it off. We would love to have you. And even if you don't, we love you anyway, and we'll keep serving you while you're here. So if you need prayer for something, if this sparks something in you, stop by the purple tent in the back, and we've got a prayer team to pray for anything going on. And if you're new, stop by the living room on your way out. Love you guys. You're awesome. You're dismissed.